you have something like a major surgery, whether you have MS specifically, or whether you have any other type of autoimmune disease or anything like that, that those don't have to be death sentences, even though that's what they feel like when you first get diagnosed. And if the relapses are hitting harder and harder, or if symptoms are getting worse, it's easy to think it's just going downhill. And the biggest thing that CrossFit has done for me is to remind me or show me that I can take control of my health. I can take control of what my body does. I can take control of what I put into my body. And all of those things are going to benefit me. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of a series of Pursuing Health stories. Here, I feature the inspiring stories of regular, everyday people who've used lifestyle to overcome some incredible health challenges. But before I dive in, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Hey there, in this week's story episode, I am sitting down with Jasmine Joy, who shares her story of undergoing a very invasive surgery for severe scoliosis, as well as finding out that she had multiple sclerosis at the age of 20. We talked about living with scoliosis as a child and her eventual decision to get surgery while she was in college, how she then found out that she had multiple sclerosis or MS during her preoperative evaluation for that surgery, her early treatments for MS, which involved several medications and side effects, how she's used nutrition and fitness to help with her recovery from surgery and her MS, and how she got started with CrossFit and how it's impacted her MS symptoms and other aspects of her life. This was a really incredible conversation. Jasmine does a great job of telling her story, and I was very inspired by her courage in the face of such great adversity at such a young age. So with that, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here with Jasmine Joy today, who has an incredible story. So thank you again for taking the time and being willing to share your whole story here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. This is awesome. Well, why don't we start? It sounds like a lot of your health story started with scoliosis that you had mm-hmm. from a young age, and then eventually it got to the point where you actually needed surgery. So mm-hmm. maybe can you give us some background on that and kind of what it was like growing up and, and what that meant in your life early on? Yeah, so I grew up a military child, um, and I think that's a really big part of this story and kind of how everything got um, discovered because when you're a military kid, you don't have one doctor for a long period of time, right? So I'm moving around every couple of years. So of course, there's different doctors in that, but then also I'm going to military hospitals. And so those doctors are moving around often. Um, And so I never just had like one primary doctor. So my scoliosis was always kind of picked up on whenever you'd go in for those like physicals as a kid. Um, you know, they'd have me bend over, touch my toes, and they would notice it was my back was really off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always just, okay, keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point, um, I believe I was in the eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, and a doctor finally um, caught it and was like, how has nobody ever done anything about this? Mm-hmm. Now it's just, it's too far past like this point of return. Um, And so my family was pretty bummed, you know, upset about that, that all all this time doctors had kind of seen it and never really done anything about it. Because then as an eighth grader, uh, the next step was to go ahead and put me into a back brace. Mm -hmm. And so as you can imagine, 13, you know, (laughs) puberty, and now you have to wear this back brace. um, I was obviously very distraught over that. So I went through that whole process of, you know, getting fitted for a brace that, I mean, covers your whole like torso and everything um, and wearing fancy like these thick tank tops so that it doesn't like uh, pinch your skin or stuff like that and um, just super uncomfortable. And then the big kick to it was that I was supposed to wear it for 23 hours a day. Wow. Giving me one hour out of it to like shower, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that wasn't realistic at all for a 13 year old. So I started it and I of course started it as best as I could. I wore it to school, which was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, it was super embarrassing anytime someone would notice it or try to sit in a chair and you're wearing this uncomfortable back brace. Um, and then eventually, you know, years went on, not even years, because by, you know, then I'm going to high school and I moved again. So now I was in a different state uh, starting the ninth grade, still wearing a back brace. And I started wearing it less and less. Um, and that's definitely you know, not recommended, but again, as a like new teenager, I was sick of it. It was uncomfortable. It was painful. As soon as I took the brace off, I felt like, okay, well, I'm still crooked, you know, and uh, I eventually did have a doctor who allowed me to get out of the brace for a while because just after, you know, I always had to take x-rays. He noticed that, well, the brace fixes you while you're in it, Mm -hmm. but the second you take it off, like the curvature of your spine is still what it was. Uh, So it seemed to be causing me more harm than good at that point. And so around ninth, 10th grade is when I stopped wearing the back brace. um, And we were just going to start monitoring it. I had physical therapy, but as a kid or a high schooler, again, I didn't see the value of physical therapy. And I wish I did. I see it now. But as a high schooler, I didn't keep up with it. Um, And so we just kept monitoring it and it wasn't, everything seemed fine. And then all of a sudden it was like my first year of college um, and or first, second year of college. And we, we checked in on it again and it had just progressed so quickly in such a short amount of time that all of a sudden the curvature was uh, what they call it, you know, life threatening or severe. Uh, And so it was a point where we could hold off for surgery, but if it continues to grow in the way that it is, you know, it could do, it could puncture your lungs or something like that. And so that's how surgery came to be. Wow. That was a really long winded answer, but. (laughs) Oh, that's, I mean, I can't imagine, especially, you know, not only, you know, having to be in the back brace going through the puberty and high school and all those things, but also moving. You're also kind of like the new kid in school and having, that must've been incredibly challenging. Did you, through this whole period, was it something that you noticed in your day-to-day life? Like, was it hard for you to do things or was it painful or did it limit your activities in any way? Yeah, good question. So the scoliosis itself, yeah, I, I remember being younger and like my parents understanding that I couldn't say we were going shopping somewhere like I it was uncomfortable and it started to hurt for me to be standing or walking around for longer periods of time and back then that was super normal to me um my parents maybe realized that that wasn't normal but for me that's what it was always like and now that I you know have had this surgery I realized okay that wasn't normal back then um it was definitely challenging in the way that you view your body because when your scoliosis does look severe, I mean, it's starting to kind of go back to where, not where it was, but um, after the surgery, everything was super evened out. Whereas um, before the surgery, like I would have one shoulder that was higher. I had, my hips were really protruded. My brace, the bracing that I wore caused one of my ribs to stick out as well, just the way that it hugged it. Um, And so there were a lot of just little, points that the scoliosis caused that as a again as a teenager just don't love yeah Yeah, or like if I would bend over and like show someone like yeah if I touch my toes like apparently how uneven my back was was just disgusting to people like the way it looked was so weird wow and were you did you end up playing any sports or were you active ever as a kid was that something that was important to you from a young age Yeah, sports were really big in my family. Um, I was definitely no star athlete, far from it. I loved soccer. I was never really good at it, but I played soccer um, from the time I could walk to around middle school. And then I picked up tennis and I was all right at that. Um, So I played sports and I was serious about the sports I played, but nothing. I mean, I wasn't a star athlete or anything like that. Um, As you know now, like I am very active in like the CrossFit realm but back then I mean in high school I was the kid that like hid during the weight training session of PE so I never had any experience in any of this growing up yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I was, um, I guess I was introduced to weight training for the first time in high school. I took like a weight training class and didn't know anything yeah. about it. But it's funny to look back on just how different it was and then how CrossFit changes your perception of a lot of things. Right. Exactly. It really does. So you get to college. You said this was after your freshman year of college that you ended up. Yeah. I believe. I'm trying to think. I actually, it would have been after we discovered that I needed surgery around my freshman, sophomore year. And then we waited to do it as soon as sophomore year ended so that I would have the summer to recover. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big deal. A lot of your friends are maybe doing internships or doing traveling or doing things over the summer and you're taking on this massive surgery. So can you talk about yeah. what that decision was like and then what, you know, the preparation for the surgery? I know there's a lot of different things that kind of came up during that, that time. Yeah. So this was, I'll try to share as much of it as I can. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a life altering, I guess, decision um, because of everything else that it presented. Mm -hmm. So the surgery for me was never a question of if I was, whether or not I was going to do it. I just, I knew I was going to, if it was going to, I mean, like I said, the scoliosis, they told me I could leave it and then it could puncture a lung. <laughs> I'm like, okay, and then we need surgery. Yeah. Right. Um, but obviously a terrifying thing for my parents to have to kind of watch me go through as well because the surgery was however many hours long and it being your spine, you know, you always have that thought in the back of your head that they could easily, you know, something could go wrong. Um, but so we got, we were getting prepped for that surgery and during the normal questionnaires that your doctor gives you to make sure that everything is okay for surgery, they asked the question, do you ever experience any numbness or tingling? Mm -hmm. And if you know those the questions I'm talking about, usually patients are like, nope, 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 good, you know? And then that answer, that question came up and I said, oh, yeah. And I thought that was normal. Um, and then they asked me, of course, okay, well, can you elaborate on that? Because <laughs> you shouldn't feel numbness or tingling. And I explained and they asked me where. And at that point, I had the like pins and needles feeling pretty frequently enough to answer yes to that question. Um, in my legs, my feet, uh, my arms or hands sometimes. Um, even like my pelvic region on like certain sides uh, would experience that. So I shared that. And of course, that was the big red flag. I was like, well, something's wrong. Neurologically, something is wrong there. So we had to continue getting ready for that surgery. And all of that is still on our mind. But at the same time, they're like, we have to figure out what else is causing that the pins and needles feeling. And so MS is, immediately came into the question, multiple sclerosis, um, but there's no just like one test for MS. And so we ended up doing a series of like, all while I'm still prepping for surgery, I had to do a series of other tests to figure this out. Um, so I can't remember the exact order that they were in, but I know that I had gotten an MRI um, and the MRI showed that I had lesions on my brain and on my spine, uh, my spinal cord. Um, I got a spinal tap and then I also got, I can't remember the exact name of the test, but it's where they, um, hook you up and it's like a sensory, like to test your nerves response. Like an EMG and, or a nerve conduction study maybe. Yeah. And so they did that for my arms and legs and then they would send, you know, different electric shocks essentially. I hear those are not the most comfortable tests. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's terrible. It is so uncomfortable. It, it begins to really hurt. Yes. Um, so they had to go through all those tests. And so before the surgery was done, it was, you likely have MS. And then after the surgery was done, I think that's maybe when we did like the spinal tap or a third or test. Mm -hmm. um, and they confirmed, yes, you definitely have MS as well. So because I had the surgery, I mean, thank goodness I did because it, it showed that I had MS. Um, but yeah, all of that just happened all at once. You were hoping for more news or more unexpected news. That's a lot to handle in such a short period of time. Yeah, exactly. The surgery went well, though. There was no complications with it. I um, was in the hospital for a week. You know, you had to relearn how to walk and relearn how to do everything. 
the recovery process is definitely long and grueling and very painful, but the surgery went well and I was able to go home uh, the following, you know, a week later. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What was that process like of, you know, that whole summer? How long was the recovery process? What are some of the things that you had to do um, during that time to get back on your feet? Yeah. So the first week um, in just in the hospital is having would be just having all of the PT and OT come in uh, throughout the day and just help me to even turn on my side, um, help me stand, help me walk. And so I think by I want to say by day three, I was walking by myself. Um, and I, I remember them saying that that was really big, good progress. Um, and then when I finally get to go or got to go home, I knew that I was going to be in bed rest for a while. Uh, so it was literally just days and days of laying in bed, um, being okay with the fact that your mom has to bathe you and your mom has to help you go to the bathroom and all of that. And, you know, parents can't think them enough, but, uh, that whole process lasted for several weeks. And then, um, I eventually got the okay that I could start going out in public, but it had to be small crowds. I couldn't be in a big crowd. Um, and it was recommended that I be in a wheelchair. So I was in a wheelchair for, I don't know, maybe another month. Mm -hmm. Um, and then by the time the school year came around, I was ready to go back to school, but I had to be careful of what I lifted. Um, so I couldn't, like my teachers knew that I couldn't bring a backpack full of books or things like that. And people knew that they couldn't run and hug me or, you know, just different little things. Um, but they say the full recovery for that surgery is um, a year, a year plus. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't 100% for at least another year. Wow. That is a long road. And just to give people some context too, this was, you said it was a multiple hour surgery and you had basically rods and they were up through your entire spine, correct? Yeah, right. Good point. So when I woke up, uh, I, I still remember the nurse was like, you know, this might hurt because you just got filleted open like a fish. Wow. So my, I have two metal rods down my spine and about a dozen screws and it goes from the very top of my back all the way down to the bottom of like my lumbar. Wow. Um, so I had that full spinal fusion. Yeah. So a big deal. And yeah, here is a long time to, to get back to full recovery. So I'm right. That's, but it was actually, I will say, and that kind of, I know we'll talk about it, but that kind of brought me into the world of movement and of health, but it was more than anything, it was because of that surgery and that recovery process. Um, like I said, I didn't, I played sports, but I didn't love working out before that. And then when you get the, when you get your ability to walk and to stand and take care of yourself taken out from under you, you realize you can't take advantage of those things anymore. Um, and so it was actually after that surgery that I started to be more, more seeking out or wanting to go to the gym, to do something, to go for walks. Um, I, I know the surgeons didn't love it, but I wanted to start being active quicker and sooner um, and so that's what I started doing. Wow. Um, and then during that time period also, you said it was shortly after the surgery, you're starting to learn more about the MS. So can you talk mm -hmm. about that, the initial diagnosis? And then, I, you know, I think you said that that played into some of this motivation too, to want to move more and kind of take care of yourself more, um, not knowing what was coming in the future. Yeah. So again, um, it was kind of a dual diagnosis type of thing with the MS and then the surgery. Um, so when you learn you have MS right away, especially at this age, when there's not a ton of symptoms I'm going through, you know, like I said, I had pins and needles. Um, I increased, I became increasingly aware of when I had pins and needles. I had what they called was like the MS fatigue, um, or, you know, a couple other little things, but nothing that made you think, okay, I have MS. Mm -hmm. And so when I found that I had that um, paired with the fact that I had to relearn how to walk and do things from surgery, that definitely made me start thinking about, you know, how much longer or what in my future, like what my future holds as far as movement and being able to take care of myself. Um, so yeah, when the MS was given to me, I again, was just more 
motivated to start learning a little bit more about health and about movement. Um, it took, I mean, that was many years ago and I still don't know everything. So, and I went through every journey of like learning to exercise and thinking it's all done on the elliptical or thinking it's all, you know, the, I was the cardio bunny and then I started to try to teach myself how to lift weights, but doing it by yourself, not the same. And, um, I started to learn more about macros and, but you know, macros doesn't include kind of like quality of food. So it's this huge long process. Yeah. Um, but that's definitely what I guess, sparked that fire in the first place. Yeah. Can you talk a little more about just your journey with nutrition? Because I think you mentioned, obviously, all this is happening in college, which I think for most people, college is kind of a rocky place when it comes to it's the first time you're out on your own, maybe having to seek out your own food or making your own decisions. And um, like you said, like myself too, going through a lot of different phases with nutrition before you finally find something that that works a little bit more long-term. So can you talk about your experience with nutrition? Yeah, that's exactly it, is the phases. Um, so I didn't grow up uh, knowing much about nutrition at all. Um, and I will say when I went to college, I gained exactly the freshman 15 because there was a McDonald's next door and it was the late night dining hall food and that's all you had. Um, and you didn't really care to pay attention to much else. And then when I had that surgery, actually, part of it just had to do with when I had that surgery and I couldn't eat or keep anything down for a couple of um, days, I realized how much weight, yeah, how much just weight I lost in just the surgery. And I all of a sudden kind of woke up to, oh my gosh, like that's what my body looks like. And not saying that was healthy either, obviously, because it's after surgery, but all of a sudden I was seeing these things. Um, and then with the MS, I knew that I needed to be more mindful with nutrition, but I will say back then, MS, what the conversations were with doctors wasn't immediately about taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. It should be, but it wasn't. I just, I had a lot of medications and we can talk about that, mm -hmm. but I was just given a lot of different medications right off the bat. Mm -hmm. um, so my journey with nutrition didn't really start rolling until later on in college when I just started becoming more interested in it myself um, and then with movement. And when I started really realizing that food was fuel for what I wanted to do physically. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, when I became introduced to CrossFit more and more. And then I eventually I joined CrossFit myself. Um, that's where nutrition was on the forefront of everything. Nutrition, what we put in our bodies um, is going to play out and show every day with what we physically do and how we feel. And now I'm fully aware that what I put in my body um, directly correlates to how I'm feeling that day. And it directly correlates to whether or not my MS is under control. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, studies and research on that, but it's still so much with MS is still up in the air. Yeah, but it's it's definitely clear that nutrition is playing a role for sure. Um, how do you approach nutrition now? Um, so I would say that right now I'm focusing on just trying to get enough food um, and making sure that it's quality. I whole foods. I really do put a big thing on quality. Um, I have gone through different phases of like, I used to count macros religiously. And I think counting macros is amazing. And I, I'm so glad that I went through um, all those phases of learning what food is, being able to look at something and know how much protein, fat and carbs is in it and how much I need for my day. Um, it's just not something I have a ton of energy for right now of counting, weighing and measuring. And so for me right now, it's just making sure that the food I'm eating is quality, that it's minimally processed, if processed at all. Um, I'm trying to focus on getting enough food. In the past, I was eating way too much, like I said, in college. Um, but now I'm working so much and I'm so active that I need to make sure that I'm eating enough to fuel everything that I'm doing as well. Mm -hmm. So important. So important. And I think you bring up a great point about the macros. It's it's such a useful thing to do and to calibrate your eye, but maybe not something you have to do forever. Maybe you kind of check in and do it right. here and here to keep your eye calibrated. But obviously all of the different phases, I know, you know, we jump around, but we probably learn something important from each of those phases. So yeah, you really do. Absolutely. 
And then what was, you mentioned some of the medications, what were those early conversations like with your doctors or your treatment plan for the MS? Yeah, so for MS medications, I would say the medications, um, they have presented the most problems Mm -hmm. than the MS itself. So I will say like, you look at me and no one's going to suspect that I have MS. Um, You know, I haven't lost my ability to do anything. And I understand that. Um, I don't look sick, which is what a lot of people with MS struggle with is that they don't necessarily look sick, right? Um, but when the MS, when I was first diagnosed with it, it was never a question of what do you want to do? It was, here is the, the whatever first step and it was medication. And so they put, my first medication was a daily injection. Um, so I had to inject myself every day. I, at the time was like in college, like I said, I was living in a sorority of 36 girls. And I had to have a nurse come and visit my sorority and teach me how to um, inject myself and just like, you know, the different injection points. I had, you know, eight different points on my body, my arms, my legs, my stomach, my hips that I would need to uh, rotate and inject myself every day. And so I did that for about six months to a year, maybe. And eventually, um, well, right away, it was uncomfortable. And I was getting those, uh, wherever the injection site was, I would get those spots and itching and, you know, discomfort. Mm-hmm. And then I did come to my neurologist at that point um, with that issue. And they just kind of said, oh, that's a side effect, you know, deal with it. Mm-hmm. And eventually, one of the side effects was that I broke out into hives all over my face and neck. Okay. So that's not safe. Um, and so finally they said, okay, yeah, you're allergic to that one. So then uh, the next year they gave me another treatment, which was a different type of injection that I had to take every other day. Um, this injection was almost worse. It, I wasn't allergic to it, but it was one, it was so painful that sometimes when you inject yourself, if I flinched, I, you know, the medication would go to a loss. Um, and then the side effects to that were a lot of, um, a lot of mental issues. Um, Mm -hmm. lots of like, it would give you weird dreams or nightmares. And then it also on the side effects says that this medication often causes depression and like suicidal thoughts. And so throughout college, that's something that then I was dealing with. Um, as a side to that, I had just turned 21. So I was also drinking at the bars and didn't, didn't, you know, put it together that like, hey, this medication that has all these terrible side effects plus alcohol does not mix. And yep. so finally, after a year of that, I had to get off of that one because it was, it was too painful. Um, I did really struggle with the depression side effects of that. Um, had to go to a, you know, psychologist who was amazing, but I think it just all tumbled. It was all part of that. Yeah. Um, and so I got off of that, and then there was yet another treatment after that, and it kind of just continues on. Wow. When did you, did you finally make the connection that it was the medication that was causing you to feel depressed, or was that something that you didn't? Afterwards, yeah. After. Because at first, during it, you're just like, well, it's college, and yeah. we're all going through things. Yeah. Um, but afterwards, after being off of that medication and realizing, because then that medication caused me to, or caused them to also give me a medication for that side effect. <laughs> they put me on, you know, antidepressants and also on um, medication for fatigue. Mm-hmm. But all of that was just coming from the first medication in the first place. Right. Um, so, so yeah, after my body was cleared of that, that stuff, I kind of realized that, you know, that timeline, it was all correlated. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy how often that happens. It's really sad actually that, that people are on medications and then they're given more medications for the side effects of those medications. And and it's so hard. quickly and easily too. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have to, I just mentioned to the doctor that I was feeling tired and I was immediately given a medication, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not now knowing what I do. Um, you just wish that there were more doctors, you know, like you and Danny, who would ask, you know, more about lifestyle, because, um, you know, and treating the actual roots rather than all the symptoms. 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's so many factors. It's the, the lack of time, the system, the way that, that we're trained. A lot of times there isn't much discussion about those things. So, you know, there's so many factors that play into it, but unfortunately that leads to a lot of patients suffering more than maybe they need to. Right. I'm glad you figured it out, even though it sounds like went through some rocky years there. Yeah. And I eventually was able to get off the injections, spent a couple of years taking, um, oral medication. So then I got switched to two pills a day. Um, and now I'm on something else that actually keeps my body clear of medications for the most part, um, which is nice. Um, but that kind of all, I, I know this is a super long story with so oh, much information, but amazing. So I want to talk to you about how you got into CrossFit because I know that's yeah. an important part too. So you were doing, you know, exercising on your own, going through kind of different phases. And then how did you end up finding CrossFit and Tell us about how you've evolved since then. Yeah. So I wish I had known about CrossFit sooner. I think we all wish that. Um, I think I just discovered CrossFit through probably Instagram. It was the end of college, after college. I didn't know anything about the CrossFit games, but I had been seeing um, different CrossFit athletes. Before I realized what CrossFit was, I realized now that they're CrossFit athletes. Um, doing these workouts that just, to me, I loved how they tied together different movements within a workout that was high intensity and um, seemed functional. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had been looking at it for a little while. And at this point, I had, let's see, I had just graduated college about a year before that. Uh, I, was, I had just moved to Fargo, and I was ready to just jump in and try new things. And so it was as simple and quick as that. I looked uh, for different CrossFit gyms in the area. I got a recommendation of one of them here, uh, CrossFit Fargo, and I, they, my friend said, yeah, um, go try a class right away. So I tried a class and I fell in love with it right away. I mean, that night, I asked that night if I could sign up and yeah. that's how I found it. I feel like that's how it is for most people. It's like you're either, either going to love it or you're going to hate it. So <laughs> Right, exactly. And you're all in. So what did you notice? And I think before you had mentioned too, you had been doing a lot of running before, maybe even ran a marathon. Um, yeah. What were some of the things that you noticed or, you know, how, how CrossFit changed the way you were approaching working out or nutrition? Yeah. So yeah, I loved fitness already by the time I found CrossFit. Um, but I was doing things like, like I, I was, I hate running, honestly. Um, but I wanted to prove that I could run. So I trained for a marathon and I ran a marathon. Um, and I was doing Muay Thai and kickboxing and I worked out in, um, this like bodybuilding style gym by myself. And I did all of that. Um, but the difference, so when I started doing CrossFit, I immediately, one obviously is the community and everybody talks about that. And it really is true. But the other biggest thing was that I went from being immensely focused on what my body looked like all the time to the cool things my body could do now. Yeah. And when I joined CrossFit, part of me joining also, and I told the owners this when I joined, was that CrossFit looks awesome. It's fun. I love everything that you guys stand for, the meaning behind it. But I also know, and I shared my MS diagnosis, and I said that I recognize that one day I might not be able to do the things that I can do now. Mm -hmm. And CrossFit seems like this space in this community that no matter what I lose out on in the future, there's still a home for me in CrossFit. There's still going to be things that I can do in CrossFit. There are people and adaptive coaches who can work with me. There are tons of adaptive athletes out there. And I just don't feel like you can say that for a lot of other sports and things. I know people with MS who are runners and then the MS hits them hard and they've lost running completely. Um, you know, or other sports, you can't make it as adaptive as you can make CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge part for me. Um, and kind of that shift between what I was doing before and what I'm doing now. That's amazing. I think that resonates with me for sure with finding CrossFit and I think for probably a lot of other people. Um, and I love the the thought about it being adaptive. I think that's something we can all take no matter what life, what life brings. Like maybe some challenge is going to come up. Maybe we're going to get an injury 
as we age, we're going to have to adapt things. And so it's so true. Um, the infinitely scalable part of CrossFit is something that makes it so valuable and something we can all try to do for a lifetime. Right. And it's that wellness sickness continuum. I fell in love with that. So I fell in love with it at my level one. And I recently just got my level two as well and comes back to that of, you know, the further you get towards wellness and past wellness on that continuum, no matter what happens in life, whether it's a freak accident or it's something like MS, um, you're better off than where you were before. Uh, and so that's really huge for me. It's so huge. It's so huge. I agree. I feel like so many parallels. I, I totally fell in love with the um, sickness, wellness, fitness continuum when I first heard it at my level one too. Right. It was, yeah, that was huge. Um, so how, and oh, another question. Do you notice, or is there any way that your back surgery or your the fact that you have rods in your back, does that limit you at all in doing any movements in CrossFit? Or is that something that you have to think about it all. Sure. Yeah, I should talk about the effect of CrossFit on both of those too. Um, with my back surgery, I don't notice anything. Um, I don't have. I don't. I haven't needed to take any extra precautions. Of course, I'm. I am careful of it. I'm trying to be safe there, but nothing has slowed me down as far as my back goes. If anything, maybe like <laughs> this is getting into details, but like my hollow rock on the ground is not perfect. And sometimes I, I wonder, I've been told it could be just the way the, the rods in my back are. Um, but I want to make sure that I do as much as I can and that I don't just think that it's the rods that are stopping me. Um, because I know there are people out there and that's the thing is we need to share our stories because there's got to be more people out there who have had back surgeries, um, who are still doing these things. I know even listening, he doesn't talk about it a ton, but I've heard Matt Frazier talk about him having back surgery. Yeah. And so he doesn't realize it, but that for me is like, okay, so, you know, you can have a back surgery and you can still come back from it. And that's huge. Um, and then with the MS too. So I was, like I said, I was eventually moved to, um, oral pills medication. And I had been already taking that for three years. And there was really no change, same relapses of symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then I joined CrossFit in the summer of 2018, I think it was. And when you join CrossFit, you obviously there's a huge change to just your everyday activity, the types of movements you're doing, the intensity, and then also your focus on overall health and well being and nutrition. And I have not had, and it sounds cheesy, but I promise I have not had a single relapse from MS since I've joined CrossFit. There literally hasn't been one. And we are now over two years later. And my um, MS specialist that I work with now is aware of that too. And I remember being nervous to tell her this because I was like, oh, I know it's going to sound cheesy to say CrossFit. But I told her and she said, yes. Absolutely. Nutrition and that type of movement that CrossFit is focused around, that's what people with MS and other, um, you know, autoimmune or neurological conditions need to be doing. And that's what makes a huge difference. And so um, that has been huge. And knowing that what I'm doing in the CrossFit space is I forget that I'm sick. I don't, you know, I don't day to day think about me having MS because I don't feel it. And the last time we did my MRIs for my brain and my spinal lesions, uh, probably about a year ago, the lesions had not grown in size. And my um, doctor had even said they look like they're smaller, which isn't supposed, it shouldn't be possible. But she said, if anything, they, it's hard to see them. Wow. Bad. Yeah. That is incredible. That is so powerful and so cool that, um, your doctor was excited for you and, and advocated for doing that type of movement. Yeah, I was so relieved because I've been with, I've gone through a lot of doctors just with everything that I've had. And I understand the kind of stigma around um, understanding what CrossFit is. Uh, so that was nerve wracking, but I was very, very relieved. And she's excited that I was doing CrossFit and she'll ask about it each time now too. That's so cool. Maybe you'll get her to do it sometime. <laughs> right, exactly. That's really cool. Wow. So, so CrossFit has obviously changed your life in a lot of ways from like you talked about changing just the way that you think about exercise and think about your body and what your body is capable of doing, thinking about how you feel your body, the impact it's had on your MS. But 
Are there any other ways that you feel like CrossFit or being part of the CrossFit community has had a positive impact on your life? Yes, definitely. Um, the I am just, I'm every bit of obsessed with it as I was when I first walked in. Mm-hmm. And that is because of all of the incredible life-changing impacts CrossFit has made. Whether it is just how much I love the focus on functional movement for anyone. Um, I fell in love with it so much that I don't even think I've said this. I was an elementary teacher for three years. I got my, um, my bachelor's and my master's degree in elementary education and special education. And then just this last year, last spring, actually, um, I resigned and I am now a full-time CrossFit coach. That's amazing. And so there's obviously that impact there. Um, I I just love everything that CrossFit stands for when it comes to health, when it comes to the uh, greater global community. I think that's awesome that, you know, affiliates can connect from everywhere around the world. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it just like makes me speechless. Yeah. Um, I and I know it's one of those like, God, people who love CrossFit, they just can't shut up about CrossFit. <laughs> but there's just so much to it. Um, and it has impacted my health and my own confidence in what I can do and what I'm capable of doing and the way that I connect with other people and the way that I see other people and see that everyone has a story as well. I think that's huge. And I thank CrossFit for that. That is amazing. That is so amazing and really cool to see how even, I, like you said, sharing your own story will help, I think, other people maybe who are in a similar situation or, or in different situations be more comfortable with maybe sharing their own stories or realizing that, hey, you know, the people that you work out to next to the next, the, the people that you work out next to in the gym all have stories that there's probably a lot more that you don't even realize. So. Right, exactly. And I think, and my big reason, I will say, for finally submitting like my little story um, to your guys' website or your blog was that when I went and got my level two, um, I went and got it in Minneapolis last month or a couple months ago. And there is that section of the level two where they talk about vicarious stories and experiences and the way that other people's stories can truly make a difference for others when they relate to them and it inspires them. Um, and just makes them know that they, they're capable and they can do that too. So when we were talking about that, I realized I'm really open to answer questions about my MS and my back and all of that, but I've never actually shared those stories. Um, and I realized how important it is because I want people to know that whether you have something like a major surgery, whether you have MS specifically or whether you have any other type of autoimmune disease or anything like that, that those don't have to be death sentences, even though that's what they feel like when you first get diagnosed. And if the relapses are hitting harder and harder, or if symptoms are getting worse, um, it's easy to think it's just going downhill. And the biggest thing that CrossFit has done for me is to remind me or show me that I can take control of my health. I can take control of what my body does. I can take control of what I put into my body. Um, And all of those things are going to, um, they're going to benefit me in the, yeah, in health uh, medically. Absolutely. And that's something I think everyone can relate to and learn from for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing and for being so open about everything that you've been through. And obviously it's your sort of enthusiasm and your attitude, I think is contagious for other people too. Yeah. I just love it. I I definitely love it. Everyone who knows me knows how much I love it. Um, I wouldn't have left my, you know, my teaching career if I didn't. So. Yeah. Well, I want to ask the three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. Yeah, I'm prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the first one is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Okay, so um, the easiest one is that I train every day or move every day. So I love CrossFit for all the things that I said, but I do really love the competitive aspect as well. Mm -hmm. So 
I take my own training very seriously just because I'm I'm obsessed with getting as um, getting as good as I can be every day. Uh, so that's a big one. Um, I have been working to second one. I've been working to identify bright spots every single day. Um, and it could be just something that made you smile that day or a conversation with a person that uh, kind of sat with you. But our gym always does like bright spots Friday. And so I've started to just add that into my daily routine of just practicing naming that gratitude because I know what that can do for you mentally as well, um, especially with everything going on in the world with, the, you know, all, all the politics and COVID. I think that's um, a huge, a really good thing for everyone to do Absolutely. is to name those bright spots. And do you do that like at a certain time, like over dinner, before bed, or how do you, how do you work it into your day? Um, so late, lately it's not set, but lately at, I've been closing every night at the gym. So like I coach the last class of the night and we post the whiteboard picture in our Facebook group, um, for CrossFit Fargo. And I've kind of worked it into that of like my takeaways today. So I'll post the photo and then the caption will be something, you know, some sort of bright spot that I've had. Um, otherwise just throughout the day I kind of think about that kind of paying attention to them and that's cool that you share them too because then I think it encourages other people to look for the bright spots in their day yeah or reminding people that they are people's bright spots I did that yesterday I was meal prepping um because it's, it's been hard for me lately to just meal prep like I know I should and I shared what I was meal prepping and just shared uh, two friends who inspired me to do that this that week and I saw one of the girls later at the gym and she was like I never inspire anyone that she's like that just made me feel so good and I said well you know you never know you are somebody's bright spot so you have that impact on others whether you realize it or not that's so true and sharing it really can make somebody's day because all, all the time we're going through just living our lives and we don't realize that maybe some of the things we're doing have an impact on other people so yeah, I'm really big about sharing with other people when they make your day or when they do something like that. So, awesome. Yeah, so that's two. Um, and then the third one um, is everything that we talked about, uh, but eating whole foods, real foods, minimally processed. I've been working. I Thankfully, I have um, my boyfriend is equally interested and happy to do those things. Um, so he also really loves trying to keep his food very clean. Uh, he hunts for everything he eats as well oh. for the most part. Um, so that's been a big, big focus in our house lately. That is awesome. What is one thing, maybe it's meal prepping, I don't know, that you're working on that you think would have an impact on your health, but you're just working on it or you haven't implemented it yet? So the meal prepping is getting better because <laughs> um, I used to do that religiously. And like I said, I just, I think I got burnt out, but I'm back to doing that again. For me, I and trying so hard and but I could try harder is um taking time for mobility mm. and with mobility I include like mindfulness because I kind of merge the two together um I am a very go 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 person I tend to be all or nothing with a lot of things and so I used to do yoga and I used to do go wad but I would do it all the time every single day and then as soon as I start to fall off, all of a sudden, I'm not doing it at all. Yeah. And so I, I'm working to find that sweet spot of, okay, just start with once a week for a little bit and then maybe twice a week. But um, I'd say mobility is a big one for me. I love that. Yeah, I can relate too because I, there was a phase where I was doing yoga once a week and I felt like that was helping me so much. And then I got out of the habit of it and I did it once last week and it reminded me, oh yes, this is something that you can definitely do on a regular basis. Right. You're like, gosh, you can just take five minutes after your yeah. workout and stretch out. And for whatever reason, I just, I don't, and I need to. It's hard. There's all, you can't do everything. It's hard, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. The last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Healthy life to me. Um, so I listen to your podcast, so I've heard many other answers. And I know a lot of people say they talk about balance mm -hmm. and I will definitely say that when it comes to like nutrition and things. Um, but my first thought when I think of a healthy lifestyle is doing something that you love to do every day with people that you love. That is healthy to me. Yeah. Um, being able to know that you you're ending your day happy inside and you're excited to go do those things 
um, the next day. And you're obviously taking care of your body in a way that allows you to do those things and to love it every day. I think that's healthy, um, the healthiest for me anyway, because I can think of times in my life where I have felt balanced and I wasn't my healthiest. Mm-hmm. And so lately for me, it's just this excitement for the day or love of what I'm doing that I think is the healthiest. I love that. That's really beautiful. And, and doing it with people that you care about and that you love. That's so important. Yeah, exactly. Surrounding yourself with those people. I think that's huge. That's amazing. Wonderful. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you again for sharing your whole story. It's super inspiring to me and I know will be inspiring to everyone else who's listening. Um, so thank you again for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything. And if people wanted to get in contact with you, would the best way be through the, the, um, Jim's website or. Um, yeah, I guess actually, so I have my Instagram, which is Jasmine then D there's three E's D E E. I can link it too. Um, but my Instagram there, Otherwise, Jasmine at CrossFit Fargo um, is my email. So that would be another good way. Awesome. Very cool. We'll share those in the show notes. So if anyone wants to connect, that would be how. Awesome. Well, yeah, th- absolutely. I know it's hard to fit in a whole story in a little bit here. So oh. thanks for allowing me to try. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I like to recap my three biggest takeaways after the conversation. My first takeaway here was about how Jasmine says a diagnosis is not a death sentence. I loved hearing her attitude that even though she was facing this very scary diagnosis at a very young age, she really didn't succumb to the worst case scenario. She instead poured all of her energy into things that she could control, like taking care of her body by eating well and exercising. And as a result, her symptoms are now better than she or her doctors would have ever thought possible. My second takeaway is that medications do come with side effects. This doesn't happen all the time, but Jasmine dealt with significant side effects, including depression for a long time before she even realized where it was coming from. Sometimes medications are necessary and sometimes the benefits of those medications outweigh any risks or any side effects that may come along with them. But side effects are always something to keep in mind and discuss with your doctor whenever starting a new medication. My third takeaway was that CrossFit is for everyone. I loved how one of the reasons that Jasmine decided to start CrossFit was that she knew it was something she'd be able to do forever, even if she developed worsening MS symptoms and had to adapt some of the movements. This just goes to show how welcoming and scalable CrossFit really can be for anyone.